We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one way. What is the other way? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse Sound on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? I've been worse. <laughs> well, that's, that's Simon talk for... Just dandy, at least that's what I how I translate it. You're going to TIFF. Yes, I apparently I I'm, I mean I'm, it hasn't happened yet, so I don't quite believe it. But for three years failed attempts. Apparently, I am going. I am accredited for TIFF this year. I'm not really going. I mean, it's mostly happening about you know seven blocks from my house, but you know, I'll be here for it, and it will be costing me no money instead of twenty plus dollars a film, which I really can't afford anyway. So, huzzah. <laughs> huzzah, indeed. Um, let's see, this week we are talking The Tripods with Steven uh, Schapansky from Radio Free Scarrow. So that's going to be coming at the end of the show. That was a lot of fun for me and somewhat amusing for you, as I recall. I still can't believe you watched all 26 episodes, was it? Yeah, it's fun. But then again, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm like, woohoo, classic Doctor Who with terrible special effects and wobbly walls. So I have different, you know... Uh, priorities when it comes to watching mm -hmm. classic sci-fi yeah C call me when the reboot happens we got uh comments and tweets from a bunch of people keith checked in he's still listening and he's behind on Budheads, but liking it and he's a big fan of allison mack from smallville so he's thinking about checking out wilfred i think he should she's good on this mm -hmm. season uh yes well i mean she's not she's not you know, super prominent all the time, but um, she's been a very nice addition. Let's see, we heard from uh, Pedro, who left us a review in iTunes, so that was pretty awesome. And he's looking forward to Treme and Bardock Empire and Boss, and recommends Suits, Longmire, and Damages. I know we weren't big fans of Boss the last season, what we checked out of it. Um, but I'm going to try to catch up on Treme. Are you caught up on Bardock Empire? Yes. Yes. I Well... Yes. I mean, I watched all of season two. I skimmed the first season after not really liking the first couple episodes, just so I'd, I'd be able to follow what was going on. But yes, uh, season two, I thought was an improvement on season one. So I'm hoping they can keep up the momentum. Although certain casting quirks will, I think, make that an interesting process. Uh, as for the others, I, you know, I do I do keep hearing good things about damages. I don't really have any sort of interest in catching up with it though, just because it seems so daunting. With there's you know there's season five. I feel like that's one I'm going to catch up with down the road. But I am kind of curious about Longmire. Yeah, I'm also. I mean, it's a western. It's got Katie Sackhoff in it, so it's it is of interest to me because I. Yeah, well, I'm, or should we talk about the watching we've been doing? Because sure. I know you've been watching Spartacus. Yes, I have. I've, I'm caught up on the first two seasons of Spartacus, and I've started the third, Vengeance, which is the most recent. So I will, I will be caught up with that by the time that it comes back in the in, in like what January or something. So that way we can January, yeah, talk about its final season together. Um, and you've been catching up on well, I not just catching up. I am caught up on Battlestar Galactica, 
which we will discuss in a future shelf. I, I'm i guessing probably a supersized shelf because there's a lot to talk about. There's a and, lot uh, to talk about, yeah, with that show. And, yeah, that's that's going to be interesting. I, I, I'm also halfway into the first episode of Borgen, but I, I haven't seen enough to make it make a call yet. Yeah, I haven't seen any of that. I have, my Scandinavian TV watching is uh, pretty much at zero right now of mm-hmm. what I've seen. So maybe I'll have to dive into Borgen well, with you at some point. One of these days, I am making you watch The Kingdom. <laughs> it's going to happen. You just have to find a guest to talk about it on a DVD shelf. Anyone? Not Kingdom Hospital. Don't get me wrong. The Kingdom. The Lars von Trier series from the early yeah. 90s. Two seasons. It's short. It's freaky. It's funny. You'll enjoy it. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, if if you listen, if anybody listened to our Chris Gore episode when he came on uh, once to talk about DVDs and then again to, to talk about Nathan Barley, he his podcast is Pod Crash, where he takes you know clips from shows that he's been on and puts them together. Uh, and so his episode with us is up at, over at Pod Crash. He also um, talks to uh, people at this DVD store, which is going out of business and is apparently an institution um, in California. And it, it escapes my memory. I think Interact or something like that. And so anyways, if you're interested in that, if you liked our episode with him, you can check out that episode of his podcast, which is up now. Um, and let's see, we also heard from TNRLM, who likes alphas, and uh, responded to our question saying Gary is his or her favorite because we still do not have a name for TNRLM or gender or any of that stuff. So he or she thinks it's awesome. And uh, also was helping me out with some advice on Spartacus. So thank you for that. Uh, Mm -hmm. This heard from Stephanie, who thanks to our prodding is checking back in with Alphas and says Gary is her favorite. And then Bill. And uh, let's see, apparently also I need to hang out with Corey because he spent this last week Playing Twilight Imperium, which is like one of the best board games ever. It's kids, feel free to tune out at this point. If you're at home, you can just. <laughs> it's an awesome board off. game, and he's now watching, going through and watching classic Doctor Who too. So, way to go, Corey! I hope you're feeling better. He was under the weather this week, but uh, had fun talking. Well, with him obviously, this week too. he's under the weather because he was watching Doctor Who. <laughs> Uh, okay, next we have a couple iTunes ratings and reviews, and we got a five-star re- a review from Kier, uh, which I didn't notice uh, last week because he, it's in the UK store, and I forgot about there's this whole other segment of the world that isn't, you know, the US and Canada. So if, if you guys write us a review in iTunes in another country, please let us know because it's really difficult for us to find those because we have to individually search every country in iTunes and then go look for the show and mm-hmm. look for a review. So it's kind of a huge pain in the butt. And yeah, I didn't and, we, and we have really important things to do with our time. We can't just oh, be clicking clearly. flags all day. Anyways, he thought we sounded sad a couple weeks back because we didn't get any reviews. So, so he wrote one for us. So thank Excellent. you. Excellent. <laughs> well, it, it does make us sad when we don't get reviews. It wasn't just, you know, it wasn't an, an illusion. We, we, <laughs> we crave like all podcasters. We basically just crave attention and support from strangers <laughs> um we also got a review from pedro as i mentioned who is in portugal so we officially have british listeners and portuguese listeners and that's pretty awesome yay yay um and he thinks that we're fabulous so thank you very much pedro that's definitely a nice light high point in in our week reading your review and, and hearing from you guys so thank you so much um, let's see. At Sound on Sight, we have uh, Fantasia is still going strong, as I understand it. 
Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's got a few days left, but it's I mean it's three and a half weeks long. It's I, I, I'm I'm sad I'm missing it for the first time, but uh, I'm also I'm not a, a certain part of me is not missing just the marathon, and hoping someone can hopefully hopefully some lovely zone on site cohort will be nice enough to send me the screeners for the uh, for the highlights. Someone maybe. Um, There are some new fall pilots starting this week, so my article uh, that should be up before this actually goes out, so by the time you listen to this, this should already be up at Sound and Sight, is looking at the the fall pilots that are coming out this week. There's only a few of them, and then I'm also going to have a piece of this week about the history of the Olympics on TV, uh, sort of how that started and what the... You know, some of the big moments have been on the televised Olympics over the years. I've been enjoying Olympic fever. It sounds like you are not particularly interested. I well, I, I just don't. I, I haven't had the time or energy to be to be watching it. Also, I don't care. Canada um, got gold in trampoline. Oh, excellent! Yeah, uh, good, good for us. Um, uh, the the honestly, the only thing I've been hearing about the Olympics is all you Americans whinging about t- about time delays on on coverage whereas apparently we get everything live so suck at america <laughs> yeah uh nbc has been showing things live during the day but uh reserving certain things such as gymnastics um apparently unless i've been missing that during the day they've been reserving certain of the more popular crowd pleasy kind of things and, and only showing them in prime time so there's been some disgruntled viewers out there yeah, well, for, well, from what I understand, some of their calls have been controversial as yeah. to what's popular and what isn't. Yeah, uh, but I, I unfortunately haven't really seen enough of the Olympics this time around to to really have much of an opinion on that. Other than I will say the Blade Runner is awesome. Way to go, Pisarius. Uh If those of you watching the Olympics know what I'm talking about, and those of you not watching the Olympics don't care, so shall we move on? Yes. Okay, let's start our week in TV uh, with Futurama Fun on a Bun. Um, This is sort of uh, a a less memorable episode of Futurama, I'd say. The only reason I'm really mentioning it is this is the part of the episode that they showed at Comic-Con. They showed the first segment of it. And I was much more excited for the episode I thought this was going to be, based on that clip, than what it ended up mm-hmm. being. I thought it was going to be all Bender being a sausage king, but really that just, it's very episodic, and uh, it wasn't particularly engaging for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I I did get some a pulpy kick out of the mammoths versus spaceships epic battle at the end. It's not really the sort of thing they do very often, but everything before that was kind of, eh. Yeah. I know, they, I know they could do better. They got higher gears. Yeah. Um, so let's move right on to Awkward and What Comes First, Sex or Love. What did you think of this? The love triangle's, you know, back of in high gear. Well, the funny thing is, if I didn't know better, um, I forget who it was. I was reading comments on this episode somewhere, and they were like, oh, I'm, maybe they this means they're going to be pursuing um, Jenna and Maddie's friends, you know, based on the way the episode ends. But unfortunately, if you were watching from the beginning and saw the season preview, you know that's not going to happen. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. It's really tested my patience lately. I don't know but, what I'm going to do about that. But this episode, as it's you know outside of what we think might be coming in the rest of the season, I thought it was good, and I thought it handled the love triangle well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's handling something I don't care about relatively well, but it doesn't change the fact that I don't care. Fair enough. What do you think? I thought her and her mom the the scenes with her and her mom this week were pretty good. 
they were better. Uh, they're making her mother a little bit less overbearingly sort of quirky and desperate at the same time, but still a little bit of both of those things. It would be nice if, I mean, I know she's a young mother, relatively speaking, but it would be nice if every once in a while she got to be a little bit of an adult, maybe. Fair enough. And then my last thing I'll say is Sadie. I We got a lot more Sadie this week, and we I'm, I'm very interested in this whole Cordelia Xander thing that they seem to maybe be doing with her. Um, maybe. I mean, I don't know if they're really going that way or not. It would be nice, because that would mean she would get more screen time and we could talk about her more. But, um, yeah, I, I, I really have a hard time predicting where they're going with the supporting characters, because sometimes it seems like they're going to be a bigger deal, and then they just retreat for mm-hmm. episodes at a time. We'll see what happens. Uh, more Sadie's, like we always say, is a good thing. But uh, let's move on to Wilfred and Avoidance. And this was also the episode of Wilfred that they screened at Comic-Con that I unfortunately was not able to see, but saw the Q&A for uh, explaining all of the bodily function jokes at Comic-Con. Right, which is how I figured out this was the between that and the actual Comic-Con gag, which was a little bit groany. Um, that was how I figured out this was the Comic-Con episode. So what did you think? Uh, despite the groaning I already mentioned, uh, I think this was my favorite episode of the season. And uh, I mean, I really like the season one finale, but I'm trying to think if maybe this was my favorite of the series. This was so goddamn weird. Just, <laughs> I mean, the fact that it was balanced between pseudo rape humor and dancing, and those were pretty much the only two modes of the episode, was weirdly satisfying. And I can't really explain why. And uh, I, I mean, I, I knew something was going to be up when near the end of the ep- uh, For some reason this season, they've had these couch gags where they're both getting high before the episode's over for the entire season. I don't remember that being true for the first. And I noticed it was coming a little bit earlier than usual. There was still five minutes left. Oh, they're going to do it. They're going to do a dance number, aren't they? And they totally did a dance number and it ruled. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man of easy pleasures. Apparently I like to watch dogs dance or I, I like to watch people dance around in dog costumes and that, <laughs> that had a lot of that. So I was happy for me. I actually enjoyed the training montage. Uh, you know, so much of it lifted directly out of Footloose, which was, uh, which was fabulous. I've got to say the headphone gag was just wonderful with, with a little bit of breakfast club in there. Yeah, definitely, definitely some Breakfast Club. Uh, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed that sequence even more than the actual dance itself, which I thought was fine. But I was kind, I kind of had higher hopes given how proficient Elijah Wood seemed to be in the training sequence. The the actual moves that that Wilfred and Ryan bust in their dance sequence were a little underwhelming for me. Mm-hmm. But it was still the overall. It was it was fun, and the churls thing was 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 fun and entertaining and just delightfully strange and weird and everything that you said. So I'm, <laughs> I'm so on board with Wilfred. Uh, absolutely yeah, on just, board. Th- this was every once in a while I'm watching Wilfred and I'm like, I'm amazed that this is on television. And this yeah. was one of those times. Like <laughs> what is the audience for Wilfred? I have no idea. It's too creepy about dogs to be for dog lovers you know, I know it shares a producer with Family Guy, but it's really nothing like Family Guy at all. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really know. Well, it's but it's us apparently. It's us apparently, and uh, according to John Landgraf, the president of FX, it hasn't been renewed yet, but it has a very good. It, it, he he was very up about it, so and he tends not to BS about that sort of thing. So I'm guessing it's back next year and or next fall rather. So 
Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Definitely. But let's move on to Louie and Barney slash Never. What, what to say about this one? They're a very memorable guest appearance in the beginning of this. Uh, it's the first split episode I think we've had this season or definitely in quite a while. Yeah. It, it's funny because it's, it's sort of a regression to what we think of as an older format of Louie in the sense of having to no actually we we did it we did have another another split episode earlier in the season i don't know why but when it comes to louis i really geek out over format experimentation so we got no intro for the first time ever this week it was just opening credits over black and white image of louis in the graveyard which was really cool and we also i'm pretty oh, sure this and was also the... great music in that opening yes sequence too great original music is a, is a staple of louis also, this I'm sh- almost positive this is the only episode so far that's had no stand-up in it whatsoever. Yes, which is, I believe which, so. Which, which is setting a dangerous precedent for this show, because if, they, if they're not spending time on stand-up, he can do whatever the hell he wants even more than before, which is, which is daunting. It was nice for me that, that this was such a comic episode, maybe the most outright comic episode of the season. Um, but as I, but, but it's, but I also found just from reading people's reactions to it, that this was maybe the most polarizing episode so far, because either one part of it worked for you or the other part worked or neither worked or both worked. And I've, I, I read an equal amount of each of those opinions. Well, I think it's for me, I would agree with what you said, because you said it was the most comic episode we've gotten in quite a long time, as opposed to the most funny. Cause for me, I wasn't laughing out loud the way that I usually am at Louie. There were some chuckles and uh, definitely more. I thought the second half worked better than the first half for me. Uh, Robin Williams, of course, shows up in the first segment um, playing. He's supposed to be himself, right? Uh, Well, you don't really know. He's just sort of a... He's a wealthy comic or ex-comic named Robin. So basically... He is Robin Williams in the sense that Louis is Louis C.K. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, which uh, which was fun. I, I, I'm 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 wondering if between his appearance on this and his appearance on Wilfred, if he's like secretly mounting uh, his own his own Louis type, you know, dramedy to mount to regain some of his respect. Which I you know I'd be all for. I think he's actually a surprisingly decent actor when he puts in some effort. Um, I also, I, I think I also preferred the second half, but man, the the whole Sister Christian montage. Did not work the... for me at all. What? No. I could see how it was supposed to be funny. It was like one of those things <sighs> where you're, you're, yes, I see what about this is supposed to be humorous, but it's not, ugh, I don't know, it just didn't work. Didn't work for Dude, me. Dude. Worked for I've you, only though. got two, I've only got two words for you. Strippers crying. Sorry, I got two more words. Night Ranger. Those four words were meant to come together in a moment of comedy, and it it worked very nicely for me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Because the thing is, Louis. I think it's the first time I, I can ever think of Louis using pre-existing music in a really prominent way. There was another formal break, uh, so I it wasn't the sort of oral gag I was expecting. So it it worked. Uh, but I don't want to overthink the bit. Let's talk about never a little bit, and uh, the fact that his mom never tells him no, and he's not allowed to eat food with carbon because that comes Which, from China. Yeah, that 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 reminded me a little bit of the level five vegan from The Simpsons, who won't eat anything that casts a shadow. Yeah, that was um, hilarious. I got to give him that. That was just that that sequence was just great. Yeah, 
there are a few weird things about the segment. First of all, that the fact that Never and his mom are actually a callback to season one that mm-hmm. I totally forgot about. And now I'm going to need to dig out that episode because, yeah, we, we've already met Never's mom once. We just hadn't met Never. Um, I'm, I'm hoping it's actually the same actress as well. Um, so weird bit of continuity. Go figure. I'm, I'm wondering if there's any other weird tangents that he's just going to pull out of his other episodes to make entire segments out of. Um, the, the, the kid was great. Um, he was just so perfectly obnoxious and, but kind of innocent. I mean, cause he's a kid also, but innocent is a hard thing to pull off when you're pushing baby car- uh, carriages into the street. <laughs> um, which, uh, was I the only one hoping for an explosion out of that sequence? Maybe that was out of Louis's budget. Yeah. That, that does seem like a, that would have been perfect in that, you know, a little, push the, a little bit the more escalation street and then the bus and then the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, Louis is not made with uh, with Breaking Bad money. But yeah, and I also loved the the whole segment with him dealing with um, well, essentially Opie and Anthony, but playing more more ridiculous gibberish speaking versions of themselves. Um, that I thought that was great, especially just just him sitting there, just somehow understanding all the, all everything they were going on about, and then totally destroying the moment with his little bit of uh, Honesty. Kansas City hate. <laughs> yeah. That was another sequence of, uh, I can understand why it was supposed to be funny, and theoretically it's funny, and I'm still just not really laughing out loud during it. But it was still well-constructed, and uh, I get what they're coming from. I actually think my biggest laugh line of the episode was um, when he tells Never that that his mother is wrong, uh-huh. and she, and he's like, oh... She's not gonna like that, and he's like, "Whatever, I'll take it." I'm gonna tell. <laughs> I'm gonna tell heat. my mom you said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he good. That was pretty good. Yeah, I'll, ta- I'll take the heat for that one, <laughs> which was a, a perfect response. I think for me, just the sight gag of the rug was the was the best moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was it, it was definitely a very. I, I I read someone describe it as a minor episode of Louis, which was how how many ostensibly comedy shows get to have minor episodes and major episodes. Not that many. Um, but yeah, I, I, I concur with that assessment. I ha- I had a lot of fun with it, but I'm definitely curious based on the promo for this week uh, where he's going. Cause it feels like it's, I, I feel like we're going to get plunged right back into weird, uh, weird Louie, weird, formally out there, Louie, weird, mostly dramatic Louie, but that's just me. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, and speaking of weird comedy, let's transition into Squidbillies. So this is the third episode of the season. You missed the first two, but you did finally see the third uh, episode. This is called Squidbilly Man Fishing. Uh, what did you think of this episode? But also, you hadn't seen any before? I, I've never seen Squidbillies before, so I, I'm faced with the daunting task of only having ten and a half minutes to unravel the dense mythology of Squidbillies. <laughs> now in its seventh now in its seventh season, that's a lot to unpack. It's a lot mm-hmm. of squids being hillbillies, which and? that was the first thing I had to figure out. Um, <laughs> it was uh, it was it was fun. It's it seemed like pretty. Um, I, I'm not surprised that it's been on so long, just because it it feels like such a comfortable a, sort of. I'm, it's it's the how can I explain this? In the same way that USA has a type, if Adult Swim has a type, it feels like it's squidbillies. Like, they sort of originated, or, you know, helped to originate, sort of what is thought of as the Adult Swim cartoon baseline, and which obviously they deviate from, but, you know, basically, you know, 
short, absurd plots with twists that seem arbitrary, although not quite as arbitrary as, say, Aqua Teen. <laughs> I, I, I feel like this this is somewhere in the middle where it's it's not as straightforward as something like Black Dynamite, but it's not as insane as Aqua Teen, which is easily the most anarchic thing ever made for television, maybe. Um, uh, th- this uh, I, I enjoyed. I, I liked the way it seemed like it was headed for social commentary with the whole uh, sort of catfish land under the sea, and then it just turned out to be some sort of oxygen-deprived um, hallucination, so not so much. Well, maybe. <laughs> maybe. We assume. We assume. But uh, I wouldn't, you know... I wouldn't be surprised if the catfish. I guess I kind of would be surprised if it if it came back again. If you know they went to the lake at some point in the future and and there was a catfish kingdom underneath the waves, that would make sense. But I would be surprised if they ever went back to the lake again, just because it doesn't. That's not the kind of thing that they do. It's not really mm-hmm. continuity. Based on my limited experience with the series, there isn't really continuity. Uh, I think I enjoyed this one a lot more than you did. I was laughing a lot. <laughs> at at the uh, the sheriff, I, see, because I still don't really know the character names very well. Um, I think the the dad squid is early or something. Does that sound right? Uh, maybe. Yeah, just the share his interactions with the sheriff, where I thought pretty entertaining, and uh, the uh, the the whole uh, fly fishing uh, like time lapse, I thought was pretty hilarious so i I guess it worked a lot better for me than it did for you oh it it, it was it was fine it's just it felt very familiar to me okay. as maybe maybe because i've seen more adult swim stuff than you yeah it's um, probably true i've I, I i used to work at a video store we would watch that stuff for hours and hours and hours and hours because it was a great way to annoy customers yeah i can't imagine this being a good choice to have on in the background of a video store <laughs> Oh no! It would have been an excellent choice, along with the likes of Aquatine and Sea Lab and Wonder Shows, and wasn't technically Adult Swim, but it was Adult Swim in, in spirit. <laughs> well, are you going to keep watching, or are you uh, not as interested? Uh, I don't know. We'll 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 see. We'll see. It felt a little quaint to me, mm-hmm. at being being acquainted with the harder stuff, but uh, but it was it was fun. Definitely, I, I chuckled a bit. Okay. Well, let's move on then to the newsroom, which is 5-1 or May 1st. You, of course, did not watch this, uh, so I will give my, my thoughts on this one. Yes, we, we, we've we come to the Sunday divorce part of the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was good. I thought it worked really well. Um, this episode, of course, followed the, the evening of May the 1st, 2011, which is when uh, President Obama came on the all of TV, basically all the networks, and of course all the cable news networks as well, to announce that Osama bin Laden had been killed. And this follows, of course, the in in proper television fashion, half the the people who work at the newsroom are all drunk and or wasted at a party before uh, they find out that something's going down. Um, for me, this really worked for a couple reasons. First of all, while this story, this episode is about that news story, it's not about, it's not about Bin Laden. It's not about Steel Team Six. It's about these people reacting to and fig, you know, what this day of their life is. So it's in a way that the Gabby Giffords thing didn't seem to be more about how other people cover Gabby Giffords. This one wasn't about how other people covered the, that situation 
as much. There were a couple things in there, a couple jabs at CNN who were all over the news, all over the, the airwaves saying that it was Gaddafi at the time. And maybe some of this relates to the fact that I distinctly remember watching this coverage on the, on that day, you know, hearing that the president was going to make an address at 1030 on a Sunday, which I don't know if, if you're aware of this, that, that doesn't happen. There's, it's not a news day. Yeah. That, or that, traditionally isn't. Yeah. So in there's a running gag in the episode of Neil being like, so you said to think outside the box. What if it's aliens? Uh, and you know, of course that's, Ugh. except, Sorry, I, I really don't like the Neil gags. Well, Except that, you know, that was one of the, you know, when you're, when you're thinking, why is the president, you know, either we got bin Laden or aliens landed on the White House. And I'm pretty sure that's, it was an alien. So it's got to be bin Laden. Like that's, you know, at least what went through our household at the time uh, on the date. So I, I, you know, I remember distinctly where I was and, you know, who I was, who I was with and what we were talking about and watching the coverage keep getting pushed because the address kept getting pushed back later and later. And so for me, this really worked. This episode really worked. Um, a big part of that is that, that Natalie Morales was in this episode as Neil's girlfriend, and she was predictably awesome because she's always awesome, and she needs to get cast in way more things. I'm hoping she will yes. recur on the show somewhat in some capacity as Neil's girlfriend. But... Well, it would be nice to see her in roles that aren't just, you know, some character's girlfriend, frankly. Yeah, but she does get to spend much of the episode being awesome. It would be nice okay. if she was, if they found a way to bring her into the show, like the, the work environment in some way. But I can't really think of a way that wouldn't be utterly contrived. Um, but, yeah, it's we're introduced to her character pretty much uh, playing... Uh, guitar hero backwards blind blindfolded and just dis destroying jim at it so that's a good way to introduce a character as far as i'm concerned mm -hmm. making fun of jim see now I, I kind of miss watching the newsroom not because i think you're right and it got good i don't think that's true um <laughs> i just i miss arguing about it and explaining <laughs> to you why it's bad <laughs> And it, and I, I'm, I actually, I'm thinking about getting back into it now that you're actually on the pro side and are un, like unabashedly enjoying it, just so I can explain to you why you're wrong. Well, I think a big part of I'm, why I'm thinking about it. Oh well, that's I welcome, I welcome that opportunity. I, I offered to watch Political Animals this week, which I really didn't want to. Uh, if you would watch Newsroom, and uh, you shot me down. Yeah, well, I, I didn't have time, but also, I mean. Maybe I, I'll, I'll tease political animals a bit. I thought political animals was a little better this week, but I I watched it knowing this is not better enough to satisfy Kate. So I, <laughs> I, I didn't want to put you through that. Well, thank you. I will say in this episode of the newsroom, the the men have the screw ups. The women are all entirely competent. There wasn't really any. The, the, the of course the most frustrating element is they continue to drag out the stupid Maggie Jim thing, uh, but. But it was nice to have an episode where it was just clearly there are a couple guys doing stupid things, but for the most part, everybody was very competent at their job, except for for Will, who uh, didn't realize he was going to have to be on the news, and so uh, got baked. So you know, there was it was a nice counterbalance, somewhat, to what we've been seeing, and I hope it's a signal of where the show's going. But we'll see. And with that, I will pass the reins over to you to talk about political animals right. and lost boys. 
Right. Like I said, I thought this was a little better than, than last week. I think the dynamic that's emerging that I'm most interested in is the relationship between uh, James Walk and uh, Carlo Gugino, who are sort of having these clandestine meetings to determine the exact nature of her piece. And uh, I thought they had some really interesting beats that I wasn't really expecting this week. I'm really, really hoping they don't push them into some sort of like tawdry affair or something, because that would be really, really dumb. And also would just give um, the character of Anne even more annoying things to do, which lately she's just had nothing to do, which has been exceedingly strange, uh, especially since they took pains to introduce the whole bulimia thing in the premiere and then have never brought it up since. But maybe maybe that was just intended for a bit of color. Um, let's see what else has been happening. Uh, um, meanwhile, the stuff with the other son, uh, TJ. Um, he's the character I've had the most trouble with, and I feel like they improve him about 15% this week just by throwing in some unrequited love, which is a very good way to tap into my pleasure center. Um, so that was a little better. Um, they vaguely threatened to kill him off at the end of the episode, which you know is not going to happen. Shucks. Um, yeah. Um, plus it would, I don't know. I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's really a plot beat the show needs anyway. Mm -hmm. but uh, I'm still I have to say I'm, I'm I'm really unabashedly digging Kieran Hines in this Kieran Hines rather um, just because I, I really feel like I'm, I'm thinking about the cads of the newsroom and political animals and I feel like political animals is a little bit more honest about its cad than the newsroom is uh, and actually I, I sort of feel like political animals is more honest in general just in the in the, in the fact that they're both tawdry cheap soaps that exploit real world drama to you know generate real drama except i feel like political animals knows that and takes itself sort of a little bit more it's it's not necessarily it, it takes itself seriously but it does seem to it, it seems to acknowledge its heightened fantasiness just through the the ridiculous use of lens flares in the flashbacks which was which was off the charts this week even though there were flashbacks to like a month ago and there were still lens flares, <laughs> which was hilarious and awful. Um, but uh, and, I, and I will, and you know, they they invented a fairly ridiculous but still interesting uh, situation involving a down Chinese uh, sub this week. Which you know what, they get credit just for writing their own scenarios, which the newsroom can't take credit on, at least not this season. So good for them; they're trying. <laughs> anyway, uh, Political Animals still still not a great show, but I have weirdly more respect for it than i do for the newsroom which, which i may try watching again next week just to be a dick but yeah you, you can you know i welcome if you want to hate watch it and i'll actually watch it then you know i look forward to oh i'll actually be watching it i just fully anticipate hating it I, if, if i <laughs> if i like anything about it i will be honest um or i'll just not mention it <laughs> either way yeah. um let's move on to uh true blood though everybody wants to rule the world the season is finishing up here there are only three more episodes uh starting you know this next sunday so things are starting to finally come together it looks like we finally have the resolution of the ifrit storyline uh hopefully we have some of uh, the resolution to the obama's storyline which is the mm -hmm. hate group thing and really calling them the obamas is just stupid but anyways <laughs> i thought it was funny but I'm I'm a man of low pleasure. I did enjoy that one, the gag that Chris Bauer got. No, President Obama is not killing people in Louisiana. <laughs> that was pretty great. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we saw a lot of condensing. We get some interesting 
theoretic uh, developments with uh, with Eric and Bill and Salome and all that would get a little more Tina Majorino, which I don't anticipate continuing, but that would be nice. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure she's a goner. Yeah, uh, fingers crossed on that one. She would be a lovely addition to the vampire family on this show, but uh, I don't know. She would be a wonderful addition to any show. She's pretty malleable. Yeah, she's pretty great. Um, and then more with, with Sookie and with Lafayette, those storylines have come together. There's a lot going on in the show, of course. You know, I would say Elseed's issue is, ten, is the most divergent from everybody else. But what did you think of this episode and how the season last you know series of episodes seemed to be coming together? Well, I, th- I think in retrospect, it's really too bad that the show was puttering around so much for the first bit of the season because it feels like we should have gotten here quite a bit sooner like, like maybe episode three four or four or five yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's a it's a lot to get to there in three episodes but and that would be a lot of escalation very very fast but i'm glad we're here at least and we get to enjoy it because it's really picked up quite a bit uh like you said the the fact that the plot lines have converged uh or ended if, you know in terms of the or in terms of the ifrit one uh-huh. uh is great uh, i think el seed's thing was uh, you know seeking out his dad was played by robert patrick um was you know a little bit of an outlier but once he gets back and has to deal with the pack again which i assume will involve lots more fighting mm-hmm. um then that also involves russell which involves everything so then you've got one plot basically except yeah. for lafayette who needs to find something new to do now that the ifrit thing is over well, he's um, he's helping with uh, Suki's vampire issue. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's there's that. Um, the, the one thing that wasn't very convincing was whenever they do, oh, Suki's in trouble. It's like, no, she isn't. <laughs> no, on, she's guys. not. Main character's <laughs> Come not dying. Come on. Yeah, especially not, not here. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're ramping up the doom and gloom quite uh, a lot. And quite effectively, I mean, I'm I'm very curious to see how far they're going to go with that, how many true blood factories they're going to blow up, and how many how many humans going to be killed. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the, uh, well, at least to me, what I gathered from the whole uh, Salome thing with Bill was that the blood in, in, in the vial isn't Lilith, it's Salome's, because Bill gets the same effect and has the same vision or whatever when he drinks her blood that he had when he drank the vial. Right. So I I hadn't thought about it that much. I was just I was just flabbergasted at all the gore and boobs. I, <laughs> I, I, I was just I my 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 like Neanderthal brain turned on and I stopped thinking about plot points to be honest. Fair enough, fair enough. Um that I would the other thing I would say about this episode is I I always enjoy Lafayette, but I'm really enjoying his role as medium uh, this season once that's finally started to kick in. Yeah, uh, he's like the sassiest medium in history. <laughs> Go stop Great. being cryptic and useless. Uh, you know, of course, said with far more flair uh, and much more entertaining dialogue than that. But, you know, that sort of take <laughs> on it is so much more appreciated than, you know. A straight-faced, yeah, sort of solemn... Which, by the way, stop being so stop being so uselessly cryptic was something I said at my TV during many episodes of Battlestar Galactica. But anyway, <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. Lots, lots to enjoy, and um, hoping that they can uh, make make the most of their increased momentum mm-hmm. and uh, 
which yeah the the whole back half of the season has just clearly been much better than where it started well and unfortunately that's a pretty common thing with true blood uh, they often end on these crazy cliffhangers and then spend that they haven't figured out a way out of and then they spend the first half of the season walking back from it trying to yeah walking back from it and stuck with storylines they don't know how to handle and they they end the first half of the season ends up being sort of terrible before they finally get into the second half of the season, which is a lot stronger, that happened last mm. year. That ha- last season, I feel like it happened the season before as well. Mm. But uh, but hey, new new showrunner next season, right? So new showrunner, we'll see. see what happens. It'll be interesting. Oh, the one other thing I did want to mention, I'm really loving the potential pair up of uh, of Pam and uh, and Tara. Just again, so much sass that mm-hmm. the potential there is very very interesting. So I'm this Tara this season is so much better than any tarot we've gotten in such a long time i look forward to what that has the potential uh to become if, if anybody can match pam line for line uh, i think it's it's tara mm-hmm. so i look forward forward to that but let's move on to bunheads and blank right. up it's time they had fred and ginger in this episode so of course i loved it what did you think right. Well, you you have Fred and Ginger. I have Chris Eigerman, mm-hmm. who um, I, I guess was also on Gilmore Girls. Uh, yeah. Good for him. I think of him as the Whit Stillman guy. He's in all of Whit Stillman's movies, uh, or at least was until Whit Stillman stopped making them for a decade. And uh, it was it was I I thought he was such a natural fit for sort of the Bunheads universe because he's just great with patter. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was and I I was surprised to see him be so prominent in the episode. And possibly even be in more episodes, which would be great because Bunheads is really weird in its treatment of guests. Whereas, like, how many characters have we met in one episode that we've never seen again? I feel like a dozen. Yeah, they're they're good. Or Amy Sherman Palladino, I should say, is very good at establishing a world. She did that very quickly and successfully in Gilmore Girls in the first season of just establishing Stars Hollow and, you know, who all these different people are in the town. And I think there's an element to that in this se- season or series as well, except that because the the main, they have so many main characters that they're splitting time between, they haven't had as much time per episode to really flesh out the world. So we've met the uh, sort of hippie owners of the Oyster Bar a couple times, whereas in Gilmore Girls, those characters we would have seen at least every other episode, just in the background having a couple lines of dialogue. Right. But because it's Michelle and Fanny and the four girls, that's really taken so much of the focus. We haven't gotten to to know these periphery characters as much. Mm-hmm. Well, there's still two of the girls we don't really know much about. So Apparently their names are Ginny and, and Melanie. There you go. I don't which, know yeah, which is which. Yeah, that's that's a problem. But uh, still, I, I really, really enjoyed this episode, um, partially because of Eigenman, partially because the scenes with Boo and her dance partner were adorable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, it was nice to, you know, it, I, I felt like they handled the dynamic of her sort of taking the spotlight without really wanting to nicely. Like, there wasn't as much sort of cringeworthy screwing up as I was worried there would be, because I really hate watching stuff like that. Uh, as for the whole Sasha thing, can I just say... She's one hell of a little actress. <laughs> I, uh, I, mean, I mean, she's not not clearly not a likable character at all right now, but but uh, she, she can she can throw a fit with the best of them. Yeah, and, uh, 
and you know obviously a hell of a dancer to boot so i'm uh i'm i, I always love watching her on the show even when she's horrible and i'm although obviously they're gonna have to do something new with her character soon well, I have a feeling there's only, I think, one or two episodes left in the season. Um, yeah, there are only two more episodes starting next Sunday or next Monday. Uh, so so I have a feeling that's where the season finale is headed. Um, well, actually, think... from, from what I understand, there's two more episodes, then they take a summer break and then come back. Like, I don't think it's techni- it's really the end of the season. I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. That's Wikipedia tells me it's the end of the season, but that who knows what that means. <laughs> I feel like ABC Family has its own weird way of doing things which can i just reiterate why is this on abc family like the eh. the, the whole the whole thing with michelle and her and her fling with the or possible fling we don't really know what that's turning into with the director was something that would have been perfectly in place on any adult comedy drama of the last 20 years and yet here mm-hmm. it is on abc family very strange um i, I like the scene with her finally breaking down over hubble too i thought that was fantastic yeah and it was much needed i think it, and it addressed some of the issues in the early episodes where we're like we haven't seen any sort of reaction from her about the fact that her husband granted you know drunken vegas husband but still husband is dead and so it was nice to see that here and chris eggman was really good but i also really enjoyed michael gantz in this and i'm hoping he sticks around because it's I think it's about time they had a foil for Fanny and yeah, they work really and, well together. And even without him, I was noticing that she was, they've way toned down her quirkiness, which I was oh, sorry. very happy with. Richard Gant, not Mike. He played Michael. Richard Gant is the actor's name. Sorry, right. continue. <laughs> he was also Hostetler on Deadwood, which I yes. did not realize until afterwards. So <laughs> they, they got some interesting uh, hitters in there. Oh, we didn't talk about Boo's mom being on True Blood. Oh yeah, that's that's that we was didn't. crazy. But she was, and, and it was yes. weird. Yeah. But yeah, and um, I I'm really glad they're seemingly toning down Fanny, and I I it was great to see her serious teacher side for basically a whole episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, the other half was the da half, which there was a lot of da in this episode, mm-hmm. um, which was also great because I'm a sucker for that. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm I I feel like I I this was one of my favorite episodes of of the show so far, just just for consistency of of uh of you know nice little lols Mm -hmm. and uh and daw moments and interesting i think world building in the sense of actually giving more their characters more people to bounce off of well and also just develop the other two girls yeah there's that but also we got a a lovely dance sequence at the beginning with uh sasha and start jerome something like that starts with a j um yeah he was gone for most of the episode but yeah jordan maybe some yeah, something like that. Uh, but I also love. I mean, because I love Fred and Ginger movies. I love Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, um, and the the point that that Boo's partner, whose name escapes me at the moment, makes is absolutely correct. Boo would make a much better Ginger Rogers than Sasha, and so I hope that we do actually get to see their dance down the mm-hmm. line. I hope that's a continuing thing because I think there's so much a funny looking guy. And a, a lovely, uh, lovely, more womanly uh, girl make for a much better Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers than than Sasha and uh, and Jerome or, and and her partner who are just too right. ballet perfect to to right. really have that charisma that that Fred and Ginger have. And so the, having that little that little comment in there showed a lot of. You know, these characters would, I feel like they would like Fred and Ginger and they would, they would know, they would be fluent in that. And so it's just, yeah, the world needs more Fred and Ginger. 
Yeah, I mean, when they're throwing around like other references, like Spinal Tap, I, I, I sort of, I, I drop my eye a bit. Like, really, you're going out to Spinal Tap? I'm not sure, but uh, Fred and Ginger makes sense. Well, and uh, speaking of references, next week's episode is No One Takes Khaleesi's Dragons. Uh, so <laughs> Nice. I'm looking forward to that. Apparently it involves And there was coffee. a Peter Dinklage reference this there week, was. so clearly they're obsessed. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. But uh, let's, I could talk about Bunheads and how much I like this episode pretty much forever. Let's move on to Alphas, though, and Alpha Dogs, which is Alpha Fight Club, basically. Uh, what did you think? Right. Which, honestly, if you were to tell me that we that we got an episode of Alpha's Fight Club, I'd be like, really? But it was actually great. It was, mm -hmm. it was, uh, it was, it was a good, lot of yeah. fun. And go, I think probably the only show on TV right now that could have pulled off a Fight Club theme and not been ridiculous about it. Or been ridiculous about it, but still been very watchable. Uh, first of all, I just want to say the potential addition of Cat, mm -hmm. who's played by Aaron Way, is uh, very interesting. It'd be, I think it'd be nice to have a sort of a, a younger character for potentially uh, Gary to bounce off of, especially since Anna's dead, um, which we finally got another mention of this week, which was a little bit soul crushing. Um, and I, I just thought she was so, so much fun to watch. And late in the episode when she's like, when she figures out what's going on and she's like, you want me on your team? I'm awesome. I was like, yes, I totally do want you on the Alpha's team because you are awesome. Because and you I, are awesome. <laughs> I, I can't remember having that quick reaction to a new character being so great in a long time in anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was a, she was a great addition. It's a similar ability to somebody on Heroes who had one of the coolest abilities, which is when she sees something, she can duplicate it. But, of course, as this being Alpha's, she has a downside, which is nice in that we have no yeah. idea how old she is and, and neither does she and the just how terrible that is and how to, to at terms and at peace with it she is about that is i think really interesting mm -hmm. right because how can you even remember to have the angst about it well i think you could have angst about you don't know who your parents are that 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 i think there are lots of lots of ways to have angst about that but i think she just you'd have to get used to it yeah so yeah, she was great. I I thought the fight scenes were really well executed. Um, the effects weren't too ridiculous or too heightened. Uh, I'm really interested in what's going on with Bill because it seems like he just had total control over himself, but now he seems like he's sort of maybe going in a Nina-ish uh, addiction-y direction, which is a little bit troubling. Well, they, to me, it seems more like they're turning him into the Hulk, um, which is like, or that, that, that's the journey, the way they're going with him, where he can be far more powerful and strong, but like, he seemed to just lose time in that mm -hmm. training sequence. So yeah, I think that'll be interesting, um, to, to see develop. The, the one thing I am finding a little bit troubling about the show and where it's headed is I'm worried about the Stanton Parrish and Doc Rosen relationship. I'm worried it's becoming a little bit too similar to Magneto and X. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping they, f I mean, I mean, I, I have faith that, I mean, I think Zach Penn must know that. Yeah. So given his experience, so I'm hoping that they differentiate it in an interesting way. I'm still really liking John Piper Ferguson in the role. I think he's, he's great, but I'm, I'm, ho I'm hoping his, whatever his plan ends up, ends up being is substantially different from what we've gotten out of the X-Men films. And, e and even um, Nina's plotline, she, she isn't there this week, but I, I read someone making the, um, the connection to the Dark Phoenix storyline from mm -hmm. X Men, which it totally seems like it's where they're headed with it. So we'll uh, again, I'm hoping they they do something a little different. Yeah. Um. I, I, the last thing I'll say about this episode is once again, I really enjoyed Gary, and I liked what they 
what what we get from him and you know that the 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 journey for the character um and the fact that his his rage is not about his treatment but about anna makes a lot of sense and continues his character development and then also we'll see the 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 new character didn't get much to do but the the love interest they're bringing in for rachel could have potential there because i think rachel needs more to do than be upset with her parents it would be nice if she had something to do. I hope that he isn't just there for her to have something to do. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping he gets. He was probably the least interesting aspect of the show to me. But um, I'm 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 hoping he. I'm also wondering: Is he an alpha? Does he have like a secret ability that we don't know about, or is he just some guy? We'll right see. now, he's just some guy. But we'll see. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, he's he's a bit, he's a bit of a bland Tintin type. But we'll we'll see if they do anything with him. Yeah. Well, let's. Uh, any final thoughts on our week in, in TV? No, I think we should move on to our to our spotlight. To our spotlight. So we'll gonna we're gonna listen to a little music and then we'll be right back with our spotlight of Breaking Bad fifty one. That was Bonfire by Knife Party, which was featured in this week's episode of Breaking Bad 51, when uh, when Walton Jr., apparently no longer Flynn, uh, are revving their cars no. in the oh, driveway. right. I remember when that happened. I was going to say, when did that happen? But I remember exactly when that happened. Yeah. Uh, so we, we this is the episode that uh, centers around Walt's 51st birthday. Of course, we saw his 52nd birthday in the uh, the, the intro. Uh, to the first episode this season and his 50th birthday was in season one so uh we got the birthday party we got more more with lydia (laughs) so to speak yeah (laughs) and uh and and uh plenty with plenty with skylar this week so what did you think of this episode and uh and and the trajectory it's showing for where this season may be headed Uh, i thought this was a really 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 strong episode and i think a lot of that rests with anna gunn who is, has always been the most unsung member of the ensemble, and which I think is really too bad. It's only this year she finally got an Emmy nod for the show, which is a little bit criminal. Although she has had more flashy stuff to do, so it kind of makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed this episode. Although I will say that a lot of the first three quarters of it was really, really hard to watch. And I, th- I think you can sympathize with that. Just the, the many scenes of Skylar just trying feeling like she has to humor Walt or just listening to him feeling like he deserves a birthday, which is just the most, I, I, in my review, I, I said it was the dramatic equivalent of Ricky Gervais's dance scene from the UK office. Just, <laughs> just a wreck to watch. I'm mostly curious as to um, how you felt about the Lydia stuff this week. Cause I know you're, you're a little iffy on that character. Yeah. And I remain iffy on her. Uh, it's cause she feels to me, I think part of it is that I don't have any problem really with the actress. I have more problem with the inclusion of the character or the writing of the character. I think it's my issue is that she just feels too much like a contrivance to get them into trouble down the line. The fact that they're, you know, it's the fact that they're not killing her 
it like the Mike's like, okay, we need to close this loose end and no, we're going to keep this loose end because we need to have a problem arise later and she's going to be the cause of it. And, you know, and granted, yes, that's tied in with Walt's like megalomania at this point, just utter confidence, I guess, to put it in a positive light. But it's it's sort of that uh, yes uh, yes Mr. Bond I know you c- escape from things all the time, <laughs> but I'm not going to shoot you. I'm going to drop you in a shark tank and leave the room. Right. It feels sort well, of like that. I, I guess my only real issue I don't really have that issue with Lydia. My my only issue is, and it's not really an issue. I'm just sort of waiting to see. Like I I feel like I still need to know how she got this gig. Mm-hmm. Like, how exactly did this person, like, because it's obviously not suited to her, and she knows it, everybody knows it, and yet, d- did they just, did she just, you know, draw the short straw one day, and now she has to, she's the corporate bureaucrat of drug running? Uh, I don't know. I would really like to know. I feel like it would be very easily established in one opening flashback, which they're very, so very good at. But uh, that that's that's the biggest question mark about the character for me. I'm still really digging the character herself and the performance. Uh, just because she's so wonderfully different from every everybody else we're spending time with, um, it's worth noting that Ryan Johnson directed this episode uh, of of Brick and Looper, etc. Yeah, <laughs> skate right over Brothers Bloom there. Yeah, yep. For for me, I really liked the episode. I, I liked Skylar in it, but I I loved the visual style of it. Just that that shot of Lydia messing with the lights in in the warehouse was fantastic mm-hmm. and Skylar going into the pool and Walt shaving his head there's just so many I think this is such a better directorial uh, outing than Fly which mm-hmm. is the last episode that he did were, were you not a fan of Fly? I, I liked Fly but I didn't understand all the heapings of praise uh, leveled at, towards Ryan Johnson in it because I, there were I had a lot of issues with with some of the direction and the choices that the pacing of that episode didn't work for me. It felt uh, too mannered, I guess I would say. And that there you go. Well, that's, that's probably one of my top 10 episodes. So I obviously don't agree with you and you are incorrect. <laughs> Fair um, enough. I can but, be wrong, but this, this was definitely, this was easily the flashiest episode of the season. I think we've seen so far, just, he clearly delights in the, I mean, this, this is a show about hyper close-ups, hyper detail, and um and fancy editing and he employed all those things especially in the cold open which was just insane um just walt and walt jr just getting off on their uh, on their new cars and (laughs) it it was all it it almost had like a almost it had a music video quality to it that was quite infectious and um yeah all the many many extreme close-ups particularly that very creepy uh use of the of the watch at the end of the episode is great but really the reason this episode was so great to me was the showdown of sorts between Skylar and Walt near the end of the episode that feels, it felt so long in coming, but in, I feel like it was very well-timed. Like we'd, we just had this agonizing amount of Skylar doing and saying nothing. And it just came at this perfect moment of release. Mm-hmm. And she's still basically where she was before. Only now he knows exactly what she's thinking, which was brutal. Which was, you know, needed. It's been, uh, long time coming this season and I you know I, I it's a great scene is very well written very well performed the the only issue I'm having with Skylar at this point is why isn't she running to the cops 
Yeah, I actually that was exactly what I um I'm I'm not really sure what the downside is at this point to going state's witness other There's than There's no possible way she doesn't get a deal. There's no way. And I Well, I I don't think it's so much about the criminality. I think they've already had her say that she doesn't want you know, she she doesn't want to have that conversation with Walt Jr., but I think in now we know that that's a pretty minor issue. Yeah, when she's concerned for their there. when she's concerned for their lives and she she wants to send their kids away from Walt to get them away from him by any means. The fact that she's like, I can't go to the cops. It's like, it, 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 again, it's, did it she actually like a, say I did I she actually say I can't go to the cops? I can't go to the police. Yeah, she said that in her list mm. of things, you know, when they were talking about her options. And I think the the notion being that she's implicated in in the the money laundering um and and so and because of that is it, it also is it, but just, is it is it Walter or is it Skyler who says it? I'm Skyler says it because okay, I definitely took note of that because okay. that, that's another element that to me kind of feels like treading water. Of when is she right. like I don't see her killing him. I don't see her, you know. And so it, it just sort of feels like the only option that she has is to go to the cops. And so to have no acknowledgement of that or even a, a, that shown in a, her glancing. At, at at something you know at at Hank's badge or something in, mm-hmm. in an inter- you know interesting way or something like that to not have any acknowledgement of that just yeah. well it's also tricky because you know she's done she feels guilty about things that she's done and she, she I don't think she's necessarily in the headspace where she's thinking about oh I can get a deal I can you know I can arrange immunity for myself I think she's more thinking about just her own her own surprising amounts of guilt when you consider you know the the, the larger picture so i i mean i i don't think it's necessarily as simple as we would necessarily think it would be were we in the midst of that situation but i do i i agree it's it's a little bit of a of an of a nagging issue and i i kind of feel like at most times breaking bad has one nagging issue like that but it's you know given all the goodness it's not really worth harping on too much yeah and and like we said anagon is really good in this episode it's a nice progression from her freak out was that last week uh, at marie yeah uh, and so i think this is a smart way to take it so i look forward to seeing sort of where they where they continue this this arc though i have a feeling we're not going to see much of skylar for the next couple of weeks but um we'll see. I, I like i still think that she's the the wild card and how things are going to play out yeah, and I'm still fascinated, like, just thinking, but I think the opening scene of the season was such a great gambit, mm-hmm. just because I'm still, I'm still thinking about it, which is a year after, uh, you know, where we are now, and the whole show has basically only taken a year. Love that so... line. It feels like longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which, yeah. Which so is perfectly I'm... pitched, you know, because yeah. it didn't feel yeah. too self-referential, but it was, it was a great yeah. little, yeah. But, um yeah, I still have no idea what I, I mean. I I read um, Vince Gilligan making a statement about where Walt sort of is in, in a general sense in that scene, and that has me even more curious, especially because mm-hmm. yeah, I'm it's I'm I, the, the, the 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 honestly the best thing about Breaking Bad besides the visuals and all the other stuff, the great acting, the writing is just it gets the speculation machine in your brain running over time just trying mm. to think of what's the most plausible scenario but then what are they actually probably really going to do but then how are they going to make that work but then won't that etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah and they generally come up with something smarter than you <laughs> the uh the the next nitpick i have is that it would be nice to see uh 
Jr. showing any sort of affinity towards his mom. Not just, yeah, mom, why aren't you nicer to dad? <laughs> Which seems to be the note he's been playing all season. Or, I'm hanging out with my dad all the time because that's what teenagers do. Uh, yeah, but Walt <laughs> buys him cars and stuff. I mean, or leases him cars, sorry. I mean, also, kids are just dicks sometimes. Yeah, I suppose. You know. But what about uh, Hank and Marie this week? What did you think about uh, what happened? Hank's promotion and and then also the scenes with Marie. Well, I was just, I'm always glad to see more Marie. I, I like uh, I like Marie a lot, especially since they've uh, sort of toned down things like the shoplifting and stuff like that. Um, I I, I love I always like the Hank and Marie scenes. Um, I'm curious as to what's going to happen if. Uh, Hank sort of steps down from the Gus case a little bit and hand that over to somebody else. Are they going to screw it up? Or are they going to be in Gus's former pocket or what? I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. So they could do They could do a lot of things with that. And um, I, I, I'm, I, I'm always, uh, I'm always tickled just to see more of them. Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, I think Breaking Bad earned its spot back on the spotlight pretty, uh, pretty yeah. handily this week. And I, I'm looking forward to, to the second half of the season. We're already halfway done. The, the second this, half of the first half of the season. Of this year, whatever. The second half of this yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any uh, final one, thoughts? One quarter down. Uh, no. Um, it's, it was a great episode. I'm, uh, I, I, th- I think that, that the, the showdown we mentioned, despite its flaw, was probably my favorite scene of the new season so far. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty great. Definitely. And the fact that he hadn't even considered that she just wants him to die, you know, is, is, yeah. is pretty great. Yeah. Yep. And brutal <laughs> and correct. And all those wonderful things that we love about Breaking Bad. Um, yes. So a few show notes here before we go to our DVD shelf. Uh, the intro music and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. We are upstreaming at sandonsite.org. You can leave us a comment there. Please let us know what you're thinking about all, all of this. How about... Uh, what should what should our question be this week? Well, uh, you know, actually, totally unrelated to everything we talked about. Uh, Arrested Development started filming today. It's a new season. Okay. How do you how do you feel about this, people? Yeah, let us you know what you that? think. Let us know your predictions and your hopes and your fears for the new season of Arrested Development. For me, it's mostly fears. Mostly fears. Mostly fears. <laughs> Um, then we're also upstreaming at uh, Current t- TV, and you can find us in iTunes. You can leave us a uh, rating or review there. We would very much appreciate that. Um, yes, and we, would. we are up in an MP3 and an M4A feed. The M4A feed, of course, has chapter breaks, so you can skip around. Then what else? You can uh, find us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are? I'm at Sucker Howl. And I'm currently in the, like I said earlier, in the midst of rewatching Spartacus. So that, and then of course, Doctor Who is always on my brain. There was a special this week that was pretty awesome that I skipped talking about here. But uh, so, so if you want to talk any of those, drop me a line uh, and let me know what you're watching and what I should be checking out. Um, and then of course, you can also find us uh, via the email. You can send us an email at theteleverse at gmail dot com. And I think that's probably enough. Yes. Yes, it's 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 a long show today, folks. We apologize. Yeah, lots of stuff to talk about. It's a good week, definitely a good yes, week. Yes, it was a very solid week. Yeah, so now we're going to take a little break, listen to some music, and come back with Stephen Stepanski from Radio Free Scaro talking with us about the tripods. Jack won't ever come here again. Once that cap goes on, out go other things. What other things? Sense of wonder, curiosity, feelings of. Aggression, 
and rebellion. When the tripods first appeared, they destroyed whole cities. Millions of people were killed or starved. And those that were left, the tripods capped. Oh, after a generation or two, matters were very much as they are now. People living quiet lives, free from wars, well looked after by the tripods. Life is good. We thank the tripods. But you're afraid of being capped. There is no land in this whole world without tripods. But there is a place where men are free, waiting for sufficient numbers and power to rid the world of tripods. Can you believe this? Where is this place? We call it the White Mountain. Will you take me there? Yes. I think you should go. But listen, Will, I do you no favors. This place is a long way from here. Very few complete the journey. Think carefully. I won't be capped. Obstinacy. Good. I've always thought courage overrated. back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell, and this week at the DVD Shelf, we are going back into someone else's childhood for a change to talk the 80s British classic series, The Tripods, and to help us discuss it, from Radio Free Scarrow, it's Stephen Schapansky. Stephen, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much for having me. So, The Tripods, this is one I had I had heard of, uh, being a fan of, uh, of British t- TV and sci-fi and all that stuff, but I was not familiar with it. I had never read the books. What was your experience with this series? It was airing here on uh, on a kids' TV sh- uh, network called YTV. They sort of did this weird buying up of everything British in the late '80s, early '90s. They bought all of Doctor Who. So I, the first time I saw like the first and second Doctors of Black and White era of Doctor Who was on YTV. They're airing them like every single night. And I'd stumble on an episode uh, of The Tripods, the very tail end of it, in about, I want to say the summer of 1990 or something. I was 15 at the time. And I, I remember being struck by this weird-looking thing. It was on videotape, which being a fan of classic Doctor Who, I thought that's cool because uh, <laughs> I was a fan of videotape as opposed to film. And then I heard the, the theme song over the closing credits, and I thought, wow, what is the show? Um, and I missed the next week and managed to sort of record... Uh, the next couple of episodes, uh, which, unbeknownst to me at the time, were the last episodes. And so um, I started over again uh, a couple weeks after that and just became hooked by the the weekly adventures. Uh, I hadn't really watched a serial drama before, and I was, uh, at that age, it was sort of hooked me at the exact right time. Well, and when I was watching it, that was the immediate first thing that came to mind that I noticed about this series was was that as I was watching it, I w- immediately it struck me that if I was the right age, if I was like 12, 14, something like that, perhaps if I more if I was a boy, um, I would absolutely <laughs> have loved this show. I would have it would have uh, been just right up my alley. And I think you know, seeing it for the first time, uh, you know, older and uh, having seen uh, sci- sci-fi and uh, 
special effects and and things progress maybe it's not as accessible to kids now but i do think there's a lot of fun and adventure in this series and i can absolutely see why for a particular generation especially this is an absolute classic well for i mean it's <laughs> i admire you for your um your gumption in, in watching it for the first time uh, as an adult because like I haven't seen the Goonies for instance and I keep getting chastised by friends my own age to say I need to watch the Goonies and I keep saying to them I, I can't possibly watch the Goonies now and get as much enjoyment out of it as when I was like you know 10 or 11 or 12 or something like that and I think that's I mean the series was intended to be for that sort of age of people I mean it went out in in Doctor Who's time slot on Saturday uh, about 5.30 in the afternoon because uh, the doctor was on the, in the weeknights at that point. And so it was sort of picking up on, on that age group of people. And I think like most science fiction shows of the day, it sort of got a larger following from the various geeks and nerds who enjoyed these sort of things. And it, and it actually did quite well in the first series. Yeah, I mean, I mean I, of course, I'm also a fan of classic Who, so I don't mind cheesy uh special effects or running down corridors endlessly uh or in this case running through forests endlessly uh i and, and i can get a kick out of out of that but uh i'm curious simon what your reaction to this series was because you don't have that basis uh that i do in like 80s 60s you know kind of low budget sci-fi so hey now how did hey you now. react that's that's not quite correct first of all i want to note that forests are even cheaper than corridors <laughs> yes, as as Stargate found out, I think, during yes. the course of their run. Yeah. Um, I had a really strange experience watching Tripods. Unlike Kate, I, I didn't have the time or the inclination to watch the entirety of it. I, I watched about the first four or five episodes, and then I sort of skipped ahead to the last episodes of each respective season, which, of course had me thoroughly lost but (laughs) you didn't miss a thing you didn't miss a thing in the middle trust me Uh, really no i'm completely lying we'll get into that though okay fine um but actually watching this was a was a very strange experience because it had me wondering because it, it definitely it definitely has the vibe of something like that i could have seen on ytv in the i'm a little older i mean i'm i'm quite a bit younger than you I was born in 86, so when I was growing up, watching YTV would have been in the mid-90s to even up... I I probably would have given it up by the late 90s, but uh, there's a show that I watched quite a lot on YTV as a kid called The Odyssey. Uh, Do you remember that one? No, I don't. That's not the one I was thinking you were going to remember, no. What what were you thinking of? I was thinking The Star Lost, to be honest. It's a really cheap 70s Canadian sci-fi Oh, there you go. No, no, it's definitely more recent than that. Uh, And The Odyssey was a show. I'm going to talk about the premise because we're never going to cover it. (laughs) Literally, you can't watch it unless you special order it from the production company, unless it's on YouTube. I haven't really checked. Anyway, it's this show about a kid who... um, has an accident in a playground and gets into a coma. And then he sort of finds himself in some sort of weird hobo steampunk land where no one is over the age of 15 or something like that. And in, and also in reality, he's still in a coma and his parents are worried about him and it's all weirdly dark. And I've always been afraid to revisit it because I remember being quite spellbound by it when I was younger. And I'm worried that now uh, it 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 wouldn't it wouldn't have the same effect. And here, watching a show that's 
vaguely in the same sort of budget realm, very high concept, very youth oriented. Um, I sort of had an experience of what it's like to watch a show like that without that youthful reference point. And for me, it, it, I, I had a really hard time getting immersed, mostly because actually besides the production values, the, the trickiest thing for me is the acting. It's mostly some of the adults are all right, but the younger guys are really not very good. Yeah. Casting kids can be uh, difficult in the best of times. Uh, But I would say that to their credit, I think they improve over the course of the run. Um, And I'm actually curious because I don't know why this is. And I'm curious if you know, Stephen, how come uh, the Harry just leaves (laughs) <laughs> probably through this series because that's a that's a change from the books to my knowledge i didn't know if that was because they wanted to get rid of the actor or if he wanted to leave um but i thought it was interesting that they changed up the cast in such a significant way for the second like half of the series no that that is how it happens in the books henry uh henry stays behind at near the beginning of see uh season two uh to help out with um uh, I don't know how much you want to spoil the show for for all your <laughs> listeners, so I, I'm stepping lightly on the on the plot threads. Uh, but he has a very big part to play in in the third book, um, so that was all part of the plan. Okay, I must have some bad information. Yeah, I think uh, it's been a, a few years since I read the books because they too were sort of intended for um, you know preteen boys in a way. But I think the I think he volunteered to stay behind. I think oh, okay. as opposed to being kept behind by. The people who run the camp. I think they're they're just the motives that were different. I think that's the only thing. Okay, well then, mystery solved. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. What did What did you think of? I mean, I don't know if you had a chance to rewatch any of this, but what is your memory of the uh, of the acting in this? Um, you know what? It's it's funny. I was thinking of going on a big odyssey of a rewatch of the whole show because I hadn't seen it for a while, and then I watched the first two episodes, and like I was you know, remembering music cues and everything. Like the mm-hmm. thing is so locked into my head. So I didn't, I, I stopped at that point. I think I, I have to stop this. Otherwise I'm going to have to stay up all night watching it. Um, I, I think at the time I was more forgiving of the acting um, because just because I was enjoying the adventure so much. I thought John Shackley who played uh, Will sort of the, the lead in, in the whole place. I thought he improved as the series went along. I thought there were some really good spots in, in the second season actually that where he was pretty good. Um, Reminded me of young Paul McCartney for some reason. If you look on the credit list when they go to that weird French villa um, for that <laughs> strange four or five episode arc in, in the first season, I think all half the sisters are, are actually sisters in real life. And I think they sort of did a casting call for, uh, you know, people who were related who looked alike. And they didn't really think about, you know, if they could act or not. So I think that's kind of maybe the weakest bit of acting throughout the whole thing. But uh, once they get to the actual city and, and the place is filled with adults and stuff because uh, everybody ages super fast. By the way, Simon, you missed the best six episodes, which, which are in the middle of season two, where they go to the city of uh, of gold. And the the special effects of that were still astound me. I mean, that's an actual model that they built, which is about I, – I, I watched a documentary on, on it just before this uh, – we started recording, and – and I think the thing was about like 30 or 40 square feet or something like that. It's just a huge model that they built. And, and the effects at the time, I mean, they still impress me now. But uh, when you look at what Doctor Who was doing, this is around, you know, late Peter Davis and early Colin Baker time. And it's just leaps and bounds ahead of what they were doing on their supposedly flagship 
science fiction show Doctor Who. So I was always impressed by that. So if if any if any acting was going to be dodgy, I was impressed by the special effects. Well, and when they get to the city, one of the things I found most interesting is how drastic a shift it is in the style because it goes from being such a uh, an anachronistic and quasi steampunk, you know, just elements here and there, but mo mostly an agrarian pastoral kind of series very much in the wilderness to just straight up sci-fi. And I actually think the uh, the creature effects and the design for the tripods or the masters is is really cool and uh, and and not, you know, not the bumpy forehead Star Trek thing. It's not necessarily what you're expecting them to do because every time they've mentioned up to that point, seeing inside the tripods, spoiler alert, the metal things aren't actually the robot aliens. Uh, there's something inside. Uh, they they always talk about seeing a face, and so it would be easy to assume that the the people in you know the overlords are humanoid, but they go a completely different way with it, and I'm sure that's exactly what's in the book, but I think they did a really good job of executing that. They didn't cut corners. I know that's that was admirable, wasn't it? Because you're right, they could easily just stuck, stuck a Snickers bar on somebody's forehead and call them call them <laughs> alien, but but it, it just keeps going. The, the way the thing I really like about the show is how. Like you say, they sort of start start out very steampunk and very uh, old fashioned, and that by the time they get to Paris in episode four or five, I think of the first season, they sort of discover all these things like pots and pans, and you know it's it, and they just look at them and they you know cars and such like that that are long since rusted out, you know the stuff that's familiar to us but is completely new to them. That by the time I think it's in episode thirteen when they're riding on in a, on a train. Mm -hmm. uh, in a caravan and then there's like lights there and it goes how are the lights powered electricity and you just get like whoa like we are actually getting somewhere we've gone through 12 episodes where there's been nothing and now all of a sudden there's electricity and so I think to have the masters be as alien as they are it was just the natural step forward I think because you know it, now we're along with them uh, in their journey of, of being impressed and amazed by by the world around them, and so that we're also like really freaked out because we don't actually see the master at first. We see, you know, uh, the the first shots of the masters are through point of view shots, mm -hmm. so we can only see Will's reaction to them all and such like that. So we're, there, it's there's this weird mystery to it all. Like what what do they look like? This isn't crazy. So it's good that they started that out because if they went to a from a point of view shot to some guy in a costume, I don't think it would have worked as well. I also want to mention I love the effect of the eyeball. I think it looks so cool. <laughs> Maybe I'm sure it's just like some really easy setting on a computer or something, but I thought it was really effective. But new. it's 1984 you're talking about too. That's mm -hmm. the thing, you know. I, I'm always more impressed by effects that I don't know how they created them. You know, like the asteroid field sequence in, in Star Wars. I watch that and I go, I don't know how they did that. You do it 20 years later, it's all computers. But back before computers, <laughs> I'm more astounded by it. And so I still don't know how they did half those effects on on, on the Master. You're right. Yeah. It's like a miniature TV screen in there or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Now, I assume, Simon, you didn't see any of that chunk? No, I I definitely lost my patience before <laughs> before that happened. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Oh, well, I just think that's so interesting, and and I imagine if it had continued to a third season, and maybe we should talk about that briefly. Uh, it, I did not expect it to end the way it did. I, for whatever reason, thought that they would know that the show was gonna get canceled, and so would find a way to wrap it up. And they don't. <laughs> I uh, I have two words for the cliffhanger that ends the series. Those two words are time bandits. 
See, I haven't. I still haven't seen it. What? <laughs> Embarrassing Seriously? confession time. Yeah. Uh, fine. Do you know what I'm talking about, Stephen? Um, I saw Time Bandits, but I saw it a long time ago. Really? Okay. Wow, I'm throwing out a Time Bandits reference and nobody Sorry, gets it, and yet you're both yeah, Doctor Who experts. Yeah. Life is strange. I, <laughs> I take it Time Bandits has a similar ending. Uh, well, now I'm not going to say anything because you need to go watch Time Bandits. But okay, fair It has fair a pretty, enough. it has a pretty only in the 1980s ending. Well, and because the ending of this, I mean, obviously, if you if you, if you do even the most bare level and basic level of of research, it becomes clear that no, that isn't the actual ending they were intending to do a third season. There's a third book, and you can find out what happens there. But just taking on its face value, the last line of it is, was it all for nothing? <laughs> and maybe the answer is yes. <laughs> it, it was actually written as sort of a dying thrust, if you will, towards the bosses of the BBC because they were they were told that it was going to end uh, sometime during production, later towards the end of production of season two. And they sort of were just kind of in shock and they just, well... I mean, there's a whole story being planned here. We can't necessarily rewrite the whole thing and have them win at the end. It just it's not going to work out that way. And so that literally that was more or less a late rewrite. They just says, you know what, the hell with you, BBC. You know, has it all been for nothing? And they just sort of ended like that. And I think maybe they sort of left it open ended that, um, uh, you know, in season three they would find for some reason. I thought they would they would find them underground or something like that. And they actually had retreated. It was sort of a cliffhanger ending. And they said, mm-hmm. "Oh no, the Free Men camp is actually now underground. We retreated from a tripod attack." Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'd, they'd pick up from there, I think, for the third book. I don't know how much of that was was actually written in treatments. I know scripts weren't rewritten. I know the guy who who uh, adapted the books in the uh, first season, Alec Rowe, was going to come back for the for the third. Um, but I'm not too sure how much he actually had written at that point. But I think that's the reason they went that way. Yeah. Can I just say that I know clearly they did it first, but the whole we're pretty sure we're going to get canceled, but we don't have time to do things properly, so we're just going to do things in a way that they're not going to want to cancel us. I call that the Twin Peaks approach. <laughs> oh, we're just going to go out big and make everybody angry. Go out crazy, yeah. <laughs> I'm just struck by in this series, and I think the ending is is fitting for this too. But I kept being surprised. I mean, not so much by there's a certain uh, pace to the episodes. You get a sense of you know, much like again, I'm gonna just keep referencing back to Doctor Who. I assume mostly to annoy Simon, who doesn't watch it and doesn't <laughs> like it just based on principle. Um, but you know, like when you watch classic Doctor Who, you just it the show teaches you how to watch it you come to expect certain rhythms uh to it but outside of that element of um knowing whatever scrapes they got into or they were going to get out of pretty quickly and then end on a cliffhanger kind of deal outside of that i was actually rather surprised with a lot of the characterizations and the dynamic of the group um and so i thought i think the ending kind of fits with that but i remember being particularly surprised by how even keeled particularly beanpole is and how it surprised me by not kind of falling into that cliche of all the characters. Like there's one fight in the whole series between the three characters. And there's always at least one guy, you know, maybe one of the three goes off, you know, and and gets angry and starts ranting or whatever. But for the most part, these characters have good, a good head on their shoulders and they very rarely do things where you're just watching it going, 
That's so stupid. Don't do stupid things. Uh, so I was actually kind of surprised by that, pleasantly. I know what you mean. They, they do get along rather well, don't they? For you know, it's only mm-hmm. it's only when they they when girls come into it do they actually start <laughs> fighting. Um, which yeah. says a lot. Yeah, well, it's just because it'd be so easy to manufacture drama that way. But yeah, they don't bother doing that because they, you know it feels so much more realistic. And as much as a show like this can feel realistic, in that somebody went off and left home, and if you did go on this kind of a quest, you wouldn't just leave the only people you knew. It wouldn't, you know, you'd kind of deal with your uh, issues with each other and get over it because you need each other, and you wouldn't set out on this if you didn't absolutely trust each other. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe that's just a more modern thing to just constantly be manufacturing drama between your leads. Although personally, I was especially in those in that first run of episodes, I was missing female characters and female input. And then it, yes. of course, later um, later Eloise turns up, but I guess she wasn't long for the show because she died. I mean, the actress. The actress. Yeah. Yes. Well, because yeah. the nice you must have missed Simon. There's a, a whole string of episodes that 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 character's in. Probably what about four? Eloise. Oh, yeah. at the at the chateau there during the tournament. Yeah, both yeah. about three or four, I think. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that has more to do with a problem with the source material than anything else. Because apparently that whole family of women they run into is not in the books. Nope, completely fine. But they actually had to pad out the books to to fit into the TV. Uh, series, which is very rare. Usually, they have to cut out like whole chapters of books to fit into TV series or movies, and and this was the opposite effect. They actually had to. Well, and that. also from what I, from what I understand, because the books were so boy heavy, they actually contrived to add more female characters. Yes, yeah, so that's the the family that we were mentioning earlier, <laughs> where they just run into a Scottish woman in the middle of France and give her a backstory for why. And, and I, every time, I just loved every time that they're with a group of people. Now we're all going to practice our English, so we're only going to speak in English from now on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's kind of creaky. But whatever. I'm you know I'm the kind of viewer who's glad that they addressed it, and so they're not you know have a reason for them not to all be speaking. French all of the time, um, yeah. I feel like if this, if the book had been written later, or if the series was more uh, loosely adapted, that one of the main characters would have been female, and then you would have that would have helped a lot with with mm-hmm. the imbalance. Although I, I also want to mention the French is extremely stilted, but it is unsubtitled, which I did appreciate. Yeah, it's true. Which is impressive because you sort of have to be as you know, you're going along with the boys, and they they don't know what what's being said to them. So it's kind of, you know, you're seeing the world through their eyes, and you don't if if they're confused, you should be confused too. So yeah, it's also cheaper not to put subtitles <laughs> on too. So well, but they True. make a point of of have, keeping Harry. Uh, he doesn't learn French. Will learns French, but yeah. Harry's just too pig-headed to learn it. And I think that's that you know an act, a very deliberate choice. Because there are going to be viewers who don't speak French, and so that way they can identify with Harry, and they have a reason for the, you know, if one of the trio doesn't speak French, then there's a reason that everybody else is going to speak English. Mm-hmm. Just to be polite to the English guy, yeah. Yeah, because that's the most important thing. Clearly, the uh-huh. other thing that I was, you know, because this is such a standard quest scenario, right? When you're watching it, you can. That's one of the things I, I liked about uh, the the pilot. Once it starts kicking in, you can kind of see you know, where it's going to go and why it would be so exciting for, for young kids to watch. 
but they don't really, they don't run into that many, you know, every, every family they're into is nice. They run into a lot of people who help them out. And I actually find, found it to have a really hopeful message and hopeful themes about humanity. So even, you know, humanity is brainwashed, but people are still people and most of them are still good. Yeah, it almost casts doubt in in each of the characters' mind. You know, like, well, they're capped, but they seem to be free at the chateau. You know, everyone seems pretty happy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's they're, they sort of request tripods to come by. They're, they're not really policed by them or anything like that. And then, you know, the, the Scottish woman there with all the French children is a vagrant of some sort. So she still has a bit of wonder and such like that. So there's, you know, it's it's sort of plant, planting seeds of doubt and just, well, maybe it's okay to be capped, you know? And, and they actually openly ask themselves that at some point during the journey. They think, well, maybe we can do this. Maybe we're maybe we're fighting the wrong um, battle here, you know? Um, and then, of course, we realize that everyone who's capped is, you know, <laughs> there's, a, there's a tremendous sequence in the first uh, episode of season two. Where the um, the tripod caps that poor woman who clearly doesn't want to be capped that that mm-hmm. girl in the yeah. Swiss chateau there and just a stunning sequence I I still don't know how they shot that because I was shot in Wales I didn't go to Switzerland mm-hmm. um, with all the the cool houses and stuff and and that really just sort of hammered hammered home the the morals of the of the series again sort of reestablished them you know there's people that are being suppressed and then you know she's fighting and screaming as she's getting hauled up to the tripod and when she gets dragged back down she's completely placated and smiling and and happy to be capped and it's just a creepy creepy sequence there's a lot of creepy in this and i think um i think the music is really effective i think just the because we spend so long in an almost completely agricultural setting that when they cut to the tripod just you know chilling hanging out uh it it is unsettling to see that so stark a contrast and i think that maybe that's why in the the story and then also in the the show they wait so long to introduce other sci-fi elements you know it's really not a sci-fi show other than the basic premise for quite a long time and uh and it's and even just like so the the music that they use and when they choose to not use it i think it's really effective I think so too. I I've heard a couple of people complain that oh, how come there's not more tripods in a show called The Tripods? But I think it would sort of, you know, reduce the impact of their menace if they're shown all the time and if they're always running from them, if they're always being chased and, and getting away. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's cool. You sort of, it gets sort of lulls you into a false sense of security, and all of a sudden you hear that, <laughs> you know, and the hissing sound and such in the background. Then you see just oh, he's just over there. He's just still watching. You know, you're never ever far away from a tripod at any point and and you're right so it, not only does it sort of you know hammer the point home that oh yeah don't, don't forget you're watching a science fiction show but you know also these guys are a menace and and you know they are quite a worthy adversary for the three boys well and it's i, I think it's really similar to for example zombie movies where almost always in zombie movie zombie stories the villain isn't the zombies that's just the thing that gets a plot moving the villain is people and an examination of of what people are under stress. And I think the the most memorable villains in this are the people. I think so too. I mean, um, you know, the black guards certainly. But even like in in season two, as we as we pass over all the stuff that Simon <laughs> didn't actually see. Yes, I you know, did. It's, hey. it's, you know, it's it's some of the black guards that are that are evil. You know, Commandant Gertz who was chasing him through the town that one time the, the and, prick at the chalet and yeah. the, uh, the the circus you know yeah that guy and the, and then even 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 fritz 
mm-hmm. uh, who joins the the main cast there for when they're in the city. You know, he's a real, real jerk. And he doesn't look like he's ever going to sort of change his stripes, and he, he only really does towards the very end of it all. And and he and Will never really reconcile that much. And it's it's you know it's he's sort of it sort of humanizes everything. They even they even have a fight on on board the ship, and he goes, you know, he's you're exactly what we're fighting against, Fritz. You're you know you're, you're not emotional. You don't care about people and such. And this is what we're fighting for. And it's sort of it made a human element out of it all. Well, but I also love that. That's what the, our leads are saying. That's what Will is saying. But I don't think that it's necessarily the show is necessarily saying that. I think there's a, enough space in there, especially when, as you see where that how that character progresses. I don't think Fritz really changes. I think that Will's perspective sort of shifts more and says, "Okay, it's everybody doesn't have to be my friend. It's not my friends that the people who are nice to me and everybody else is a bad guy." We, you know, they come to an accord just because they believe in the same, the same fight of trying to bring down the tripods, and they they're forced to work together because they're the only allies they have. And Fritz is right. I like that Fritz is right in his, uh, you know, these are our heroes, so of course they don't end up, you know, staying in jail very long. But in theory, he's right to leave them behind when he does. So I, I like that it is slightly more complex than just. The good guys are all good, and the bad guys are all bad. Mm-hmm. Just like the Cognosk um, mm-hmm. in the city, the big computer there, who sort of befriends Will, not because, you know, he's oh, I'm on, I'm on the side of good. He is kind of against the masters and and, and the rest of his race and such. But he's more just, you know, I'm I'm bored of this. He's just sort of a rogue, mm-hmm. you know, and how he doesn't. It's it's not just black and white for him. He's not just a good one gone, bad or a bad guy gone good or anything like that. It's there's his ethics are cloudy and then he just sort of flies off he doesn't actually even help them very much he just sort of leaves at that point and and still leaves the fight to the to the humans which uh you're right i've never thought about that angle before or even just that will's master you know he's yeah you know, if they weren't trying to do the thing that they're trying to do that i'm not going to spoil in case somebody decides they want to watch the tripods you would think will's master's a good guy He's 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 really friendly. He uh, believes in individuality. He thinks he he's uh, he thinks that the capping removing all free will is a bad thing. You know, on on the scale of you know what they could have chosen for that character to be, and again, I assume this goes back to the original source material, but that's that's not what I expect from a children's adventure serial. Mm-hmm. But let's get back to something that Simon can talk about. Simon. Yes. Any uh, particular thoughts? We are running uh, out of time here. Do you have any final thoughts you want to mention? Uh, not really. I feel like I'm here to represent the faction of people who may or may not be as well acclimated to uh, getting into a series like this without f- first having had the experience of of growing up with it. I think had I seen this when I was the age that I was when I saw, for instance, uh, The Odyssey, I think I would have been very interested in delving back into this and and getting into it. As as for me, with now with the sensibilities that I have, I, I did find it difficult to get immersed and to get engaged in the plot, which was basically a direct result of some of the production values and the performances, which I think is too bad because clearly there's a lot of interesting ideas uh, percolating uh, for for uh, for you guys to be interested. I just it 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 didn't connect for me just on that level. Well, I would imagine, and let me know if, if you agree, Simon, that uh, this is one of the shows where if you watch the first episode, 
and it doesn't really sit with you that well, if it doesn't engage you, it's not going to be a show for you. If Pretty you watch much, yeah. the first episode and it draws you in and you're you, you're interested, then you'll, you'll probably you know get a kick out of the show. But it yeah. doesn't really. It's not like there's a huge change between. Like, did you notice a huge change between the pilot and the uh, f- the finale? No, no, I didn't. I mean, the I I was actually very interested for the first few minutes because you know you're expecting an outright sci-fi show and you get this soft focus, you know, like Wicker Man. Uh, sort of tri- tribunal thing going on, and, and it's very confusing. You have no idea what you're watching, and then you would gradually get the concept. And I mean, I, I do think there are a, a, a large number of, of viewers who, even with no prior experience with the show, who would really dig it. I think it's just about sensibility. It's about age. It's about uh, what you're used to as a TV viewer. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, so, Stephen, do you have any uh, final thoughts? Um, it's a shame that Michael Grade was controller of the BBC at that time because he canceled both Doctor Who and the Tripods. Um, because uh, <laughs> oh. I, I, it's it, it literally it's one of my greatest regrets that uh, not that I had anything to do with it, but that they never made a third series of it because um, uh, my actual first episode that I ever taped and watched was the last episode, and oh, and no, it gets better. Uh, the tape ran out. I actually set the recording wrong. So just as they come over the hill and look out at what's at them, the tape stopped. Oh, wow. So yeah. the very last shot of the whole thing, I never actually saw until I watched the whole thing all over again. So um, and so I was I was set up for disappointment twice. So uh, oh, that's um, hilarious. I, yeah, I immediately ran out and bought the books and, and I read them a few times since then. So I guess I'll just have to have the tripods live on in me that way. <laughs> Is there anything that that what shows did that guy actually like? Michael he didn't like sci-fi, yeah. No, he didn't like sci-fi at all. Uh, I think he liked what was being uh, made on ITV at the time, which was like light entertainment because it was cheap and got the ratings. So I think that's that's <laughs> what the way he wanted the BBC to go towards. Yeah, fair enough. Well, now the question, now the next question is: Do you guys see a remake of the Tripods in the future being a successful thing? Well, uh, I was reading that supposedly they've tried to get a, a Tripods film off the ground many times, and it's never quite come together. I mean. It's it's an inevitability. I think it's actually in um, it's in science books now. It's an inevitability that if someone has written something that has been produced before, it will be remade again. Especially if it has genre leanings, it's just going to happen. Law of averages, I think it is. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I mean, I could see this being remade into a really interesting show in much the way that Battlestar Galactica was. I think this could be this premise and this this setting with some tweaks and some changes could make for a very fertile ground. Um, doesn't mean that, you know, there's no reason. It's not like this is a story that's screaming to be retold or anything like that. But uh, if somebody, you know, all it takes is somebody who grew up with it. it just takes an RTD to show up and do a really good pitch. And all of a sudden your show's back and huge. So I guess, we, you know, anything could happen down the line, but. Yeah, so thank you, uh, Stephen, so much for for coming on and and suggesting this. It's one that you know I've heard about it for so long. It was nice to have some context to throw in there with all the different references that I hear. Well, thank you for allowing me to prattle on about it because I've I've been watching it for over twenty years and I haven't I've barely found anyone to talk to about uh, about the show. So I've I've relished this opportunity. So where can our listeners uh, find you online? 
You can find me. I'm on Twitter at Legopolis, Legopolis, um, and uh, also my uh, main Doctor Who podcast is Radio Free Scarrow at uh, RadioFreeScarrow.com. Thank you so much for coming on, and uh, thank you everyone for listening. We will be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.